Life that counts. Life that counts. Life that counts. Life that counts. It's, it's, really, it's really great to be here. My name is John Williams. I founded and lead an organization called Life That Counts. We are committed to helping students make better decisions for more healthy outcomes. What I want to talk to you about today is something that we've observed over the last, oh gosh, um, year, year and a half that is really starting to make sense. So we're putting some money into it, some effort into it, and developing it. So what I'm going to share with you, it's, it's, it's really on the, the front end of a project. And it's, it's, a, it's an idea that happened while I was at a school. So our staff is really big on taking personality profiles. Did anyone, uh, by chance, does anyone, has anyone ever taken the Myers-Briggs? All right, do you know your INSTJ, P-O-O-Q-Y-Z? Do you know your thing? How about Enneagram? Do we have any Enneagram people in the room? What are you? Challenger. Challenger, you're an eight. Come on, you're my people. Who else? Who else took the Enneagram? What are you? Five. You're a five. Okay, so that means you can tend to suffer from paralysis by analysis from time to time, right? Like you really think about what you're going to do. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. Who else? Who else takes the Enneagram? Has taken it. Anybody else? Personality profiles are really cool to take. So how this kind of achievement performance, how we arrive at that based off of the, the three different things, um, that we kind of observe. So I was at a school and we were talking with the, the superintendent at the school wanted us to, after we did an assembly for the school and after I spoke to all the kids and this kind of thing, we, have, we had a couple other staff fo folks there. It was a Montana school. It was in the Great Falls area, about an hour outside of Great Falls. Um, and so we were there and the, the, the uh, superintendent wanted us to address two different specific grade levels of students and the superintendent had done a report that, show, that showed their um, attendance, and it also showed their achievement in um, like math, science, and like reading or English or something like that. And it the report that the superintendent had put together, it demonstrated how poor those students in these two particular grade levels was compared to the rest of the student body. One of the things that we had the kids do that day was we had them take a, a modified Enneagram for high school students. So it was for them. What we found with, the, with both grade levels of students is we found that not one, there was not one, one, three, or five in those grade levels. So you have to understand a little bit about the Enneagram to know why that's important. Ones are the people who are perfectionists. They're called reformers. They're the ones, my wife is a one. And if I want, so if I want a paper, if I want to make sure all the grammar's right, all the commas where they're supposed to be, there are no run-ons or sentence splices or anything like that, I'm going to send that paper to my wife. To my wife. Or else I'm going to hear about it because she's going to find it, read it, and she's going to ask me what I was thinking. And I'm going to say, honey, I don't know, but I should have ran it by you first. Famous last words from a husband, do it the way your wife told you to the first time and you'll be fine. Good job. Yes. We just celebrated 20 years in January, so I don't know how she did it. But she did it and we're here. So, um, but, and then the threes, threes are achievers. Um, threes, I, t I type as both a three, an achiever, and 
as my friend here, an eight. Just so you know, Donald Trump is an eight. If that says anything to you. Challengers, bulls in china shops are what eights are. They don't necessarily want to lead the world, but if you give them the free reign, they will certainly try. Um, Not that I'm opposed to that, but that's another conversation. So we found that there were no ones, threes, or fives. Fives are people who are, uh, they, they look at detail. They consider detail. They want to know, they, they, how, how does this thing go together? How does it, I need to make sure that, it's the teacher who wants you to show your math on an exam. You know, how did you arrive at the solution that you arrived at? I want to see it so that I can trace your steps, so that I can do the work. So as, we're, as we were working in this school, I'm like, man, this is, this is such a case study right here because with these students who, I mean, the, the data clearly demonstrates that they are underperforming in the core competencies um, that, that we all test for in Montana for, I forget what it's called, the, uh, the state testing in high school. Help me out. ACT. Not the ACT. The ACT is national. SAT. Not the SAT. The no, the... Yeah, the yeah the standard yeah you know what I'm talking about. Um, I I forget it, but at least somebody knows what I'm talking about, so that validates me a little bit. So, um, so anyway, so so we we began to move on from that. So we did the personality thing, and then and then there's another thing we wanted to know. We wanted to know what is your functional, what is your functional dysfunction? Would everybody stand up right quick? Please stand up. Now, who just got nervous because I asked you to stand up? Okay. And, and when you got a little nervous, did you, fear, did you feel fight, flight, faint, fawn, or freeze? Like, do you know your functional dysfunction? You guys can sit down. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought doing 75 on an icy interstate last night was fast enough until the semi came around and jumped in front of me. And, and, and I... I I know how to drive, all right, but I just backed off a little bit, and 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 I didn't I didn't freeze. Uh, Ten years ago, my natural inclination would be to fight. I'm going to show this sucker because we're at the Talladega 500, Mister Semi Man, and I'm going to beat you to whatever it is that we're racing for. It's like it's not a race, right? It's like Mister Bean on that show. It's not a race. It's not a race. Never mind. Thanks. <laughs> Temperament. When I say temperament, I'm not talking about uh, a colic or sanguine or, or that. What I'm talking about with temperament, so the three things. Number one, if you're taking notes. Number one is the three things that we uh, suggest that should be considered for closing the performance gap of achievement and performance. Number one is personality. Personality should be considered. We should know our students. We should know... And I'll say perceived strengths and weaknesses. Because just like I, I can stand on a scale and the scale is going to read, you know, 248 pounds. And there's going to be a chart somewhere that says I'm obese and overweight and all this kind of thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not obese. I'm just big boned. You know, I mean, that's how I feel about it. But it's this scale somewhere that someone put out that's supposed to dictate to me and I'm supposed to live within the scale. No, that's not true. And it's the same thing. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's the same thing when we take a personality profile. Things like this, they are only tools, right? 
They're only tools. Just because they help us identify doesn't mean that they, I, that, that, that they shape who I am. The tool does not shape who I am, if that makes sense. It, it may help me learn things about me. It may help me reveal, it may help reveal some self-knowledge, some perceived strengths and weaknesses, some areas where I, I resonate with this. I don't really resonate with that. Hey, I really resonate with this. You know what? That is a weakness of mine, and I, here's how I can grow in that. So the tool helps me, Right? But the, but the tool doesn't in and of itself, and I know it's weird to say that a tool doesn't shape you because a tool does shape, but in this case, the person dictates to the instrument. The instrument should not ever dictate to the person. Does that make sense at all? Does it make sense? Okay. So the first thing I, I would say is, is when we're working with our kids, personality profiles are huge because we need to know where, where their natural proclivities are, where their natural... Um, the things that they're attracted to, the things that they like, the things that they dislike, the things that they have interest in, the things that they have totally disinterested in whatsoever. And then the next thing, and I've already alluded to it a bit, is temperament. And when I say temperament, I'm talking about your functional dysfunction or your amygdala hijack or your emotional hijack, as I would call it. When you're triggered, close your eyes for a second. When you're triggered, think about the last time you were really triggered. And I mean, you felt the cortisol. You felt the tension in your body. Was it closed fists? Was it tense muscles? Was it you just wanted to run away? Or did you just stand there frozen? And your head, I mean, you were, I mean, the words were going like the expletives were there. You know, I mean, you were, but your mouth stayed shut the whole time. My 18-year-old son's functional dysfunction is freeze. Here's what you need to know about my 18-year-old son. He's six foot four. He weighs 285 pounds. He can bench press, squat, and deadlift a car. You know what I mean? Like he's a big, strong kid. But his functional dysfunction is freeze. And whatever, what will ever happen with my man-child of an 18-year-old son if he ever lets that hulk out of the cage, right? So one of the things that I have to be aware of as a father is I have to be aware of, okay, how, because I'm naturally a challenger, like, like you mentioned a moment ago, I'm naturally a challenger. So when I'm addressing my son, for example, and I'm, I'm confrontation ready, like, let's go, baby, bring it, you know, right? I'm conflict all day long, let's go. And I'm going to sleep well tonight, right? That's a challenger. They're just comfortable in that space. Well, when a challenger approaches someone whose functional dysfunction is freeze and that person shuts down, can those two people work together to accomplish anything? No, not at all. Not at all. So even if your intentions are the absolute best and, and you're, you're smile on your face and you're coming at someone and there's so much opportunity for you and I really believe in you and we can do this and da 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 and their functional dysfunction is freeze, they could be sitting there experiencing <laughs> Stick your left foot, right foot in, right foot out. We were going to do the... I mean, we were about to do the... And I'll show you what it's about or something. Yeah. The hokey pokey. Thank you. It was impacts your thinking. And your thinking is very much shaped by what your environment requires from you to survive. This is a first. The resources that you have. 
and the relationships and knowledge base that you have. For example, if you live by the ocean, that's going to impact how you make your livelihood. It's going to impact how you think. You're going to watch the weather patterns differently than if you live in the middle of the Midwest. I'm easy. So we can relocate. There's a nice area out here. It's up to you guys. Understanding about how the world works. We use the concept of resources, okay? As you can see on this chart, any one of these can destabilize your environment. And what happens really is that when your environment gets destabilized, when you start losing resources or gaining resources, I wish I was as calm as she is. It impacts She's then so how you calm. negotiate your world. And no. I don't care where you are in the world. So laid back. As you can see from this chart, I'm so high strung. The more under resourced you are, the more you live up. Hey! Hey, she was good though. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'll write a review for her. You know, like I was. Woosa. Anybody remember? No one remembers that movie. Bad Boys? No? Never mind. Okay. So if you're a person who is, uh, even, even if you, as a person who's providing counsel or as a direct service provider with students or folks or whatever, or even with your staff, right, it's, it's healthy to be self-aware, and the more self-aware you can become, and the more, the more we can be aware of those that we're working with, it, it's going to enable us. I'm going to know my staff better. I'm going to know my team better. I'm going to know my own kids better. I'm going to know my wife better. I'm going to know what is a proper response and what is maybe a response that's going to trigger them. And if I care anything about them, then I'm going to work so hard not, not to fit myself into their mold or not, not to change who I am, right? It's, it's not that. I'm not going I'm I'm to uh, be true to who I am. But I can be true to who I am without coming off as a horse's rear end too, right? Or I can be true to who I am without coming off in a way that triggers the other person. So the first thing, again, we said personality. We, we, we have to understand a baseline for personality. We have to know a baseline for who it is that we're dealing with. Second thing is that functional dysfunction. It's that amygdala or that emotional hijack. By the way, did you know that the amygdala, the little gland that's at the base of your brain, when you're triggered, say you get cut off in traffic and they're blowing snow all over your car and you're like, ah! That thing responds a hundred times more quickly than the executive processes in your front left, uh, your left frontal lobe. Did you know that? It, it does. And see, this is where we have to be mindful that in those moments that are stressful and tense, and in those moments where we're really triggered, in those moments where it's like, however you do that, whether it's fight, flight, freeze, faint, or fun. We have to be, we have to, we still have to have our best self present, right? Because what, what is required in that moment when I get cut off and the, the, the snow's blowing all over me, that moment that I don't need the freak out version of me to survive that moment. Does that make sense? If the freak out version of me is there in that moment, I'm not going to survive. I need my best self to show up in that moment. So I need to, so there are some coping skills that I can practice. There's some things that I can do. Self-awareness is a huge part of it. I can breathe. Instead of hitting the accelerator, I can 
hit the, maybe not even hit the brake, but maybe just take my foot off the gas and back up a little bit. Create some distance. I don't have to freak out. Hold the wheel, 10 and 2, or wherever you're at on your lap, right? And just, I'm going to be okay, right? The third thing that I would say, and and you guys may challenge me on this, and I'm okay with that, but I'm probably not going to budge. That's my disclaimer. You, you, You can probably challenge me on this, but... And I'm going to say why I'm not going to budge in a minute. Um, Because I'll I'll give a little bit of background um, just about me as a kid and how I grew up. Foundational relationships, paramount. Foundational relationships are huge. Uh, The lady from the podium earlier said, what happens between kids in those few weeks during the summer when they graduate high school and they're supposed to go on to college, but some of the kids completely get derailed. What happened was foundational relationships. They had a mom get sick or a parent's divorce or a kid brother who needs taken care of, but they can't take care of the sibling because they're going to be four hours away. It's college. So, no, they made a decision to get us uh, $8.50 an hour job so that they can stay home, put their life on hold, which you know what putting your life on hold means, right? It means that your life never goes the way that you hoped that it would go. All because they're going to do the noble thing, hey, and I'm not questioning the nobility of it, but they're going to do the noble thing and stay home to take care of a kid, brother, or sister, or whatever, or aging grandmom or dad, or granddad, or, or whatever the situation Foundational relationships are massive. Now, I never met my biological father. I grew up in an alcoholic, abusive situation. I'm convinced that hurt people learn how to hurt people. Right? I'm also convinced that healed people can help learn how to heal people. I had no clue how to be a husband. I had no clue how to be a father. But over time, I learned. I learned how. I surrounded myself with people I began surrounding myself with healthy people when I was like 12 years old because I would see my friends interact with their parents. And I'm like, I want that. I don't want what I'm coming from. And up until my early 30s, I was the guy, like, I could tell you what I was against all day long. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. It's like I'm reading the, the headlines of political news. It's like, you know. And then I had a gentleman ask me, John, I know what you're against, but what are you for? And when he asked me that question, completely rocked my world. And then I began to think about, okay, what am I for and who am I going to be? Okay, so let's move on a little bit. And so let's set these three down. Let's set personality. Let's set temperament. And when I say temperament, I mean uh, that reaction, not response, in a triggered moment, not sanguine colic or any of that. The reaction in a triggered moment in a stressful situation by the way, Dartmouth on that, Dartmouth has a really great uh, list of triggers that they, uh, that they scale, um, like I think 11 points to like 100 points. And if you get a 300, you're in a really um, kind of a wonky headspace. But you can just, you can Google um, um, amygdala hijack and uh, stress factors. And the Dartmouth paper will be, it, it's the, like the top result that will come up. So, uh, so let's set those aside with the foundational relationships. And by the way, I'll define foundational relationships. I define foundational relationships as biological parents. That's how I define foundational relationships. How do you affect? How do you, how do you respond? How, do you, how did you interact? What was your relationship like with your biological mother or father? 
biological mother and father. What, what was that like? And how does that impact our performance? Uh, just another word before we move on, because I want to identify what I mean when I say performance and achievement. An- another word on foundational relationships. We know that kids who come to school hungry or kids who come to school tired because they were up half the night, you know, trying to block out their parents arguing or they didn't have mom or dad to come into the room to say, hey, it's enough with the Xbox already. Haven't you killed enough people today? Let's quit. Right. And and shut that down. You know, like if those healthy structures are not in place, then we know that that kid's not going to come to school like physically. They're going to be just exhausted or hungry or Whatever. Uh, again, uh, um, something else to note on there is why do kids act out? You all are familiar with HALT? Who's never heard of HALT before? Okay, you might want to take a note. So my wife works with special needs students uh, at a self-contained school in the county we live in, where I'm from, in Alabama. Uh, and my wife employs this often. HALT is hungry, angry, lonely, four. Because HALT only has four words in it, not five. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Kids act out because they're either hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Okay, moving on. The way I define performance and achievement is this. You can, you can perform very well during the Super Bowl and still not win it. Right? Now, I know in some, in some places in academia... Performance and achievement are considered synonymous. I do not consider performance and achievement synonymous. You can perform very well for a period of time and still not reach the end goal. Forged for success is the conference theme, right? You can perform, you can be amazing out of the gate and have no follow through and not perform well. And by the way, that's a personality characteristic of an eight. We're amazing out of the gate but we need to staff ourselves, surround ourselves with people who are the ones and the threes and the fives so that we can carry an idea from start to completion. So I see performance as how do we show up? Do we um, maybe maybe we know the content, but we may not test well. Maybe we're. I mean, we could, we could go or we could have an oral dialogue over the history of, you know, for hours. But when you put a test in front of me, my functional dysfunction gets in the way and I freeze and my brain's not working. And I'm like, oh, what's going on again? Another way. Now I'm going to go ahead and tip my hand. What, what I'm advocating here for. And, and this is what we're going to roll out in the study when we do it, because I think the data is going to demonstrate it. I'm advocating for an individualized education plan with all students. That's what I'm advocating for. And if you're an educator who has an understanding of what an IEP means for kids, then you think I'm off my rocker. Because IEPs are massive, they take a lot of work. But I would say aren't our kids worth it? I I would say I would say isn't isn't right now, isn't what we're doing right now isn't worth isn't it worth the future? I would say, isn't it worth doing everything that we possibly can to set our kids up for success? I would say, isn't it worth creating a 360-degree encompassing um, system, if you will, where we can understand the personality needs of the kids, uh, the emotional, the the triggers of that student. So with that, we can help them understand and identify and grow into who they 
who they ultimately want to be and who they dream themselves to be. To, and, and to know that, hey, foundational relationships are important and, and we, were, we were in these places for a reason, but at, at the same time, we have an opportunity here to carry the message that, hey, your past doesn't define your future, your, or your past doesn't dictate to your future. I never met my biological father. My wife and I have been married for over 20 years. We dated for three and a half in high school, and I got to, I'm, I'm getting to watch my kids grow up. Like, I'm getting to be what I wanted to be when I was a kid, and my past didn't dictate my future. Does that make sense? So I'm getting to grow into that and live into that and be that and become that. So what were those, what are those things, what are those pieces along the way that help us arrive and help us achieve that? How do we replicate those models and how do we help our kids identify and move into more healthy spaces? How do we help them identify and move into more healthy versions of themselves? Hey, I'll ask you an honest question. How do we ourselves sitting in this room right now like, if you're honest, you ever felt inadequate for the job? You ever felt ill-prepared? You ever felt like this is an uphill losing battle and it's like, holy crap, Batman, where do I go from here? Right? So it's, 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 it's good for us. I don't really like using the words good and bad. I like healthy and unhealthy. It's healthy for us to know who we are. To know our proclivities, to know our idiosyncrasies, to know our perceived shortcomings and our perceived strengths, right? It's helpful, it's helpful for us to know which lane we, we love being in, you know, so that we can show up to serve others better. Is that, does that make sense? Does that help? Okay, so I want to I set that down. I will say this. So we're working on a model that I'm that because our business model at Life That Counts is we don't sell anything. We give everything away and we write federal grants to pay for it. And so far it's worked out pretty well. So I don't see any of that changing. But when we develop this comprehensive model, like we'll be glad to give it to you if you want it. Just cause. Um, where is it going to go? The way that I see the model going is we can do so much now through assessment online, through the use of technology. We can also do self-reflection and self-assessment. We can do a ton of that. Report, man, you can spit out a personality report in like seven minutes. You could do an Enneagram in like seven minutes time and you could have an idea of, oh, do I agree with this? Do I disagree with this? Well, that explains why I feel this way about that, right? So we could learn, I, I don't know, I sent out, I don't know if the messages got to anyone, but I downloaded the Shed app and I sent out some messages to just everyone because I had no clue who would actually come and show up today. But I did share a link to an Enneagram, which we found useful. Uh, so I mentioned all this because we can do so much through self-assess and report. Uh, life that counts. We are currently developing uh, a functional dysfunction assessment. So we're currently developing a, an assessment for uh, emotional hijacks, emotional hijacks. What is your trigger point? What is your default response? Is it fight, flight, freeze, feign, font? 
Like those are useful things to know. Like you probably already know your response anyway, but or, or what your tr- what your functional dysfunction is. But we want to give a little more verbiage around it to say, okay, how can we break these triggers? What are some coping skills that we can practice? Because it's one thing to be self-aware; it's altogether another thing that okay, let's be self-aware and then let's let's uh, let's match that, let's couple that with a skill to help show up better in those moments. Does that track? Okay. I want to I want to I want to set all that aside for a second cuz I believe that I believe that individualized plan it's almost like an individualized emotional support plan it is really what it is. <clears throat> I want to set that all aside for now and I mo- I want to move in. If I say the 5 Cs of development, do you all know what I'm talking about when I say 5 Cs of development? Who's ever heard of that? Okay, cool cuz I wanted to share this with you. Because how do we close the achievement for performance gap? I, th- I think it's interesting where it begins. I think all of the, all of the social emotional self-assess items, I think all of those items speak to the first C in the five C's of development. The first C is competence, competence. And I do not know why our culture has made competence a four-letter word. When I, when I do things like this in, in some of the federal circles that we work in, even in some schools that we work in, it's almost like, man, you're really competent at what you do. Like I said that to someone not too long ago. The person felt insulted, insulted by me. They're like, it's competent. I, I was hoping for a lot more than that. I'm like, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Like, ah. Oh. Didn't know that that was going to trigger you. Like, it was a verbal outlash. And I was like, holy cow. Like, I didn't know it was a bad thing to be good at something. You guys are familiar with the 10,000-hour rule? Malcolm Gladwell, the outliers. And then Noah Kagan, the, one of the, he was one of the first 30 at Facebook. Noah Kagan, um, he believes that because of technology, the Internet, YouTube, hey, if you don't know how to do something, what do you do? Don't know how to do something, what do you do? YouTube it. Or Google it. No. Because it's there, right? And then when you Google it, a YouTube video is probably gonna pop up. <laughs> Noah Kagan says, because of the so information on planet Earth right now is like doubling every day. Okay. And because we have we don't we don't have to pay to have more degrees in Fahrenheit than be, that, to be good at something anymore. We can Google how to do things and know how to, we could just know how to do stuff. The knowledge base is at our fingertips. Now, we may not be expert at it. We may not be masters of it. We may not put out training videos on it just yet, but eventually we'll be able to if we keep doing it. So that's where the 5,000-hour rule, Noah Kagan, or the 10,000-hour rule, Malcolm Gladwell, falls into play. So competence, uh, how, how many, do you guys know working a, working a 40 hour a week job, how many years it takes you to get to what's considered mastery if the 10,000 hour rule holds true? Y'all look and smile. Do y'all know how many years, roughly how many years? Just over four. A, a, a typical work year in America on a 40 hour week is what, 2,080 hours? 2050 or 2080 hours. 
So it's just over four years that takes you, actually, it's maybe closer to five. Because the so it's just it, it, between four and five years of, of doing the same thing where you can arrive at mastery. There was a man, I forget his name, but uh, from his, in, during his 30s, his 40s, his 50s, his 60s, and his 70s, he won a Nobel Peace Prize in different studies and different concentrations. Well, because if the, if the idea of the 10,000-hour rule holds true, then that means that we can become competent, that we can, we can de- uh, demonstrate mastery in our skill, in our trade, in our craft in less than five years. So, then after, and so what happens beyond five years? Well, beyond five years, we, we begin to add value and contribute to the field at whole, at, at large, right? So the first C is competence. The first C, you lift weights, yes? Yeah. How long have you been lifting weights? Since I was like 13. So. 13. How much did you bench press? 250. 250, okay. When you were 13, were you bench pressing 250? No. No. What were you, were you benching the bar when you were 13? Barely, yeah. Yeah, you were like picking up the, the curl bar to bench it, right? And the curl bar is 25 pounds. The long bar is 45 pounds. And it's, so you had to grow into, right? You had to grow into being able to bench press 250 pounds. Right, and your, your shirt shows, they, they show your muscles, you know? And so, so it, it shows the work that you've done. And so, so you, had, you also had to demonstrate something. I don't, I don't want to throw out too many concepts, but this is good. There's a fellow by the name of Nassim, Nassim Taleb that you should become familiar with. He wrote the book Anti-Fragility. Anti, uh, anti the concept of anti-fragility is this. I hope I'm not boring y'all to tears here. The concept of anti-fragility is this. If I take a box of plates and I'm moving across town and my box of plates is sitting on the back of my truck, but I hit a pothole and the box of plates falls out, what happens to the plates? They break. What if I took my 45-pound weights that I bench press because I'm strong, I put them in a box, I put them on the back of the truck, I hit the same pothole, they fall out, what happens to the weights? Nothing. But do the weights get stronger? No, not at all. So the concept of anti-fragility is time under tension, whether it's in a weight room, whether it's a rigorous randomized control study that we're going to do, whether it's studying for a test, time under tension is time under tension. And we know that neuroplasticity is a real thing. And Carol Dweck's work on mindset has really helped go a long way with us. And we know that even IQ, you guys know that up until like 15 years ago, academia held the position that IQ neither increased or decreased, but it stayed within uh, the, st- the same standard mean deviation throughout one's entire life without any kind of traumatic outside event. And in that case, the only thing that could happen is you could decrease in IQ. But we believe now that IQ, your intellectual quotient, your ability to learn, your ability to comprehend, your ability to do more, we believe now that IQ can actually grow and increase. Right? So time under tension, whether it's in the weight, weight room or whether it's in the books or whether it's whatever it is that you do, time under tension produces competency, which is a demonstration of antifragility. Does that track? Okay, that's, that's the first C. I'll move through to the other ones more quickly. 
Because what does competence lead to? Okay, let me ask you this. Does it sound like I know what I'm talking about? And, and even if I don't, I'm doing a pretty good job of BSing it, right? right? I've been talking for a long time. I've been doing conferences and things like this for a long time. Do I come across as confident? That's the next C. Competence leads, and I didn't need the validation. I just couldn't think of a better meta, uh, illustration to go into confidence. So that's how I got into confidence. Confidence is, so if our kids are competent, even kids, so we're working with this school. Oh, it's really cool. Uh, I wear um, uh, what y'all would call a hat, what people in Alabama would call a Western hat. I wear a hat. And when I set my hat on the dash of my truck, uh, it slides off when, if I go around a turn or whatever. Like it, uh, it will slide off. We're working with a vocational school in our area now to develop a product that Amazon does not have. Because I've looked for something to hold my hat on my dash. It doesn't exist. So this, this vocational school that we're sponsoring on this project, they have 3D printers and AutoCAD and all of these wonderful things. So we're developing this, we're developing this thing. We're going to give a, proceeds, a, 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 a portion of the proceeds back to the school to create a scholarship. The kids who like create it, we're going to pay them if any remuneration actually comes in. Like I'm so excited about this program. It's going to be awesome, right? It's just amazing. I actually get to go visit with them tomorrow. You know, I get to go follow up with them. I've been just driving over every week, at least one time a week, during one of their classes just to check in and see how they're doing. So I can't wait to see them tomorrow, you know. And, and what these kids are doing, because they have competence in this area, they know how to do AutoCAD, they know how to 3D print stuff, they know because that it's created within them, within them a confidence. And I mean, kids, there was this young lady who, um, man, I kind of get sad thinking about it, actually. She, she's a wonderful artist. Like, she really, like, her conceptual design was amazing. And she's only, like, an 11th grader. I'm like, this is amazing. I said, you're awesome. And she said, no, I'm not. And I was like, who taught you that you're not? Because I'm looking at this, and this is awesome, and you made it, therefore, you're awesome. Right? And dude, she like, like almost teared up. And I was like, look, young lady. Like, I can see this. Like, you can see this. You did this. I have no doubt that some people in your life have probably like ridiculed you before, or made fun of you or told you that you're not good enough. But I just want to tell you, you are. And y'all remember the movie The Grinch Stole Christmas? Remember when his heart started to beat and he didn't know what to do with it? Like, it's almost like the young lady started to have a confidence muscle that started to beat. And it's like she didn't know what to do with it and it felt weird, you know? And competence builds confidence, which leads to connection. Confidence leads to connection. Because when I'm confident... When I'm, man, I have beat on my, I, like, let's go to the gym. Like, I'm ready. Let's go to the books. I'm ready. Let's go to the relationship stuff. I'm ready. Let's go to the, be a, be a great dad. I'm ready. Go to, how do we do the husband thing? Like, I'm ready. How do we do the finances? I'm ready. How do we buy land? I'm ready. How do we do horses? I'm ready. How do we do chickens? I'm ready. How do we do cows? Like, let's go. Whatever the competencies that you've built, that creates the confidence 
which therefore leads to the ability to connect as we're getting to do right now. And thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you. It is an honor to be here with you guys this year. It's absolutely wonderful to get to be here. I love working in the state of Montana. I love working with your kids. I love working with your schools. I love working with your schools, your administrators. Man, I can resonate and really feel some of the challenges that some of them feel like they're facing and going through and whatnot. It's just been a great joy to get to be a part of you guys' world. You know, I mean, this is my, like, home away from home, I feel like, these days. I get to come to Montana often, and I love it. I love the experience to get to come. We'll be back in April to do an event in the Geraldine area on technology and school safety or online safety. And it's like, Geraldine, let's, where is Geraldine, you know? It's awesome, and they have the big butte thing behind it, and then you go through Fort Benton. Anyway, um, connection leads to now let's figure out whether or not you have, you have character or what kind of character that you have. See, we kind of turn a gear here, or we kind of turn a corner here, right? Because it started... With competence, it started with the ability. Did you play football? I did. And as you got stronger, and as your skill, what position were you a running back? Okay, so as your position, you were a position player. As your footwork got better, your skill got better. The other guys started to see you as, hey, yeah, this guy's in. And you started to feel good about yourself because they validated the work that you had put in, which was demonstrated through your performance, which led to your achievements. See, we're still on it, right? And you grew, and then you, you were able to make connections, and then your connections revealed your character. Were you ever in, and I'm not going to ask you to answer, but my oldest son, I mentioned him once, I'll mention, mention him again already. He was dating a young lady who she wanted to become physically intimate with him. He said no and broke up with her. Now, how many times out of ten does that happen? That's how I felt about that. It demonstrated he had the competencies enough to have the confidence to demonstrate the character from the connection or to inform the connection. That's another way to put it. That's probably a better way to put it. To inform his connections by his character. And then when we see whether or not a person actually has character... Because some people are just snake oil salesmen, right? One of the ladies who worked with me, uh, she works actually here. She was out of the Great Falls area, and her daughter got into an automobile accident. She was telling me how they went to this car dealership, and they were going to sell her this car that was going to cost $9,000. The price tag on the car was $9,000, which do not buy a $9,000 car in this market because the used car market's overinflated. Buy new, sell it six months later, you'll pocket ten grand, and that's how it works. Next. And, and I was telling Kelly, we've done it with Teslas. Just don't tell the IRS. We bought like five Teslas in the last like 10 months. Anyway. Um, and you don't pay for fuel. It's a win. Um, but, but the car salesman was going to sell her this car for $9,000. He wanted $4,000 down. And the payment was going to be $285 a month for 72 months. Is that more or less than nine thousand dollars? Just from doing some quick, simple math in your head, <clears throat> like eighteen? No, it's like twenty-two thousand dollars for a nine thousand dollar car. 
right? So the interest rate's absurd. And the daughter, this young lady, uh, uh, Kelly, who works with me, her daughter started to do the deal. And Kelly was like, what are you thinking? You're, kind of, you're out of your mind. But, but, but Lacey, her 24, 25-year-old daughter, had a problem that needed fixed. The problem was I just got in a wreck. My car was T-bone totaled. I need a way to get to work. Here's a solution. Okay. Yeah. Right? Not really thinking about it. So we need people of character. We need to build character. We need to help identify that. And I believe that's where some of the, the, the three things that I outlined actually will help inform character. Because at the end of the day, it, it truly is about how we all get along with one another. And then what is demonstrated back, what, what, is, what else is informed back to that connection beyond character? And I've alluded to it, but compassion. But compassion. We all know why bullies bully. Number one reason why bullies bully, who knows? Because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people, you said? It's learned. A learned behavior. Anybody else say something that I missed? I heard a few voices. Who else says? What's that? Insecurity. Insecurity. That was where I was going to go for the number one reason. And then learned behavior. But people try to make people, people try to diminish people because they feel insecure. Do you know the best acronym I've ever heard for a person who is a CEO? Constantly elevating others. A person who is a, who is a CEO is one who is constantly elevating others. The greatest in the room is going to be the one in the room that is able to add value and provide some sort of actual service for everyone in the room. And y'all, we have the opportunity to be that. We have the, I love the quote by Marianne Williamson. I'm going to get a little inspirational here. I hope that's okay. I feel like we've been heady. I keep looking at you to nod or something, but I'll never play cards with you. I'm just going to go. He's my uh, moderator. Yes. Why do I need moderating anyway? Just to make sure you're within time, and then I get to remind everyone to fill out their surveys afterwards. You're 15 minutes early. Okay. Okay. Yes, you have about 15 minutes left. Roll time. He taught at the University of Alabama, but he's a Michigan. And where was your alumni at? North Dakota State, which I'm sitting next to Julian, which makes me really happy right now. Okay, Montana State. I would, taunt, I would taunt him for that, but I won't. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, I just did. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> you, you did. But I'm going to tell you what, neither one of y'all want any of Nick Saban. But that's another conversation. It's a football, you know. <clears throat> um, well, I, we covered them. We, we, we covered the three things that I believe that lead to performance and achievement. We, I, I did want to hit the five C's because the, the five C's, it, it really does have to start with, it really does start with competence. And I believe that the other factors inform competence. I have to know that I am, we've designed this uh, long before I ever heard Brene Brown say it. Brene, wherever you are, I just want you to know. Um, I was doing a talk at a school. It was a 2,200, students. It was in Iberville, Alabama. And it was one of those extemporaneous, off-the-cuff moments. And I went on this tangent about how you're enough. 
And we ended up plastering it on sweatshirts. And I have one with me, and I started to wear it. But I didn't want y'all to think less of me, so I wore the button down. But I love this, you're enough. Right? And, and, and the you're enough, that growth mindset, Carol Dweck. Right? That, that abundant mindset. Not the fixed, or not the scarcity. Not the, I'm going to tiptoe through life mindset. But understanding our personality, understanding our own, uh, our own temperament, understanding uh, how our functional or our foundational relationships, like what role or factor that they play, becoming self-aware. Y'all know, it, it's, hey, look, it, I, I, is it safe to assume that not everyone in the room came from a Hallmark card at Thanksgiving? Is it safe to assume that? Like, am I okay with that? I mean... If we, I came from a pretty messed up situation. Like on more than one occasion, I saw the police at Christmas and they weren't coming by to give us, you know, peppermints, <laughs> right? They were coming to haul family members off who had drank too much and gotten fights with one another. Like that was Christmas at my house as a kid, right? And, and, and I, I can either allow that to, well, that's all there is. I guess I'm going to be an alcoholic who never achieves anything. And the only thing my uncle ever achieved in his whole life was liver cancer from his alcoholism. And that's what he died of. And that was like the man in my home growing up as a kid. Because my mom and myself and my brother, we lived with extended family. Or I can be around people who can show me a better way. And, and this is where I wanted to where I wanted to remind us of the Marion Williamson quote. You guys know the Marion Williamson quote. Uh, help me with it. You, I know you got to know this because we're uh, our, our greatest fear is not our. Yes, come on. Do you know the rest of it? It's wonderful. I want to share it. Our deepest fear is not. I want to ask you to do something weird. Can I just ask you to close your eyes while I read it? And just, I want to ask you to also um, make your face smile <laughs> while I read it. I know that's kind of weird. If you want to, you can kind of set up straight. Pull the breath in. This is a coping mechanism, right? The five by five, pull the breath in. Hold it. Let it go. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. What is that called? It's a poem I found along the way by Marianne Williamson. 
She is an African-American lady from the South. And I love that poem. As we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And, and isn't that what we all signed up for? Like, that's the job, right? Okay. That's, that's all I got. Y'all want to do some questions and answers or some dialogue or anything? Or y'all just like, I'm brain dead, I want coffee, and I need a toilet. <laughs> like, what do y'all want to do? Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to stick around. As I said, I do have uh, other items to take care of. Um, and I, I appreciate you all's patience with me, allowing me to come in and run my mouth for an hour and then leave. <laughs> um, I, I really felt like it was important to, to join you all for the meeting this morning. It was great to hear all that MCAN is doing, and I hope that we are able to. Um, our organization, as of 15 minutes into the talk, are now members of MCAN, um, and we've also... Um, We've also made a, a matched pledge um, that will come to fruition in August 1st that we look forward to just partnering with the Montana College Attainment Network um, for the future and do whatever we can do um, to help us all achieve, um, well, to help us all allow other people to live their own life, right? So anyway, so that's what I've got. Uh, if you guys want to do some Q&A or if you want to leave or whatever, Mr. Moderator? No, whatever you want to do. Do you have anything to remind them? I think I already did, so I'm good. All right. I'll throw something out there. Okay. I'm sorry, I had to step out for something for a second. All right. Um, back when you were talking about the IEP for all students. And, okay. Um, I'll just say I, I think that's actually a wonderful idea. Um, you've, got your, um, you've got your students that are your, your good athletes, your, mm -hmm. you know, Strong academically, they seem like they've got their life all together, and mm -hmm. then, you know, I mean, I hate to be so harsh, but you know, then they commit suicide, and you go, really? What, why the hell? I mean, I think sometimes you don't know deep down what's going on, or in those foundational relationships, what's what's happening back here. Sometimes that's their survival in school, and so mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of like that idea. I know it'd be a lot of work, and I just, I just wanted to give a shout out for that. I had never had anybody say we should do IEP on youth, but. Not a bad idea, in my thought. Uh, who is there? Anyone who would agree, disagree, poke at that? Uh, who? I agree, and we do something like it in our program. We do like an individualized support plan for each one of our students, just based on um, where they're at. So we check their grades, and we just um, try to make an improvement plan for them. It's difficult, though. Super difficult. What does a support plan include? Well, I guess it just depends on the individual student, how they're doing. Uh, we check up on them, we know what classes they're in, where they're struggling, and we just like get on them like their mom. Or okay. Anybody, somebody else. Do you have any uh, tools or assessments that you use to, because it's been said, right? And, and this is why I think the personality assessments are helpful, because they help us cover more ground more quickly. Um, it's been said that it takes about eight hours of FaceTime to know another person. And so it's one of the reasons I love working in schools because you can kind of, you get to spend time with the kids. And, and in Western Montana, 
I know a kid who fit the description of everything that you just said. Everything that you just said, even down to the end. And, you know, you feel like you know this kid. And then you know where he's coming from. You know how I'm lying. But so, not to get off on the tangent, but uh, do you guys have any, uh, I guess, baseline data collecting instruments that you use to... We okay. just we check grades, we monitor grades, and we just kind of work off that. Yeah. So. Our most needed students, though, they're the hardest to get to and the hardest to get to, like reply or react to any anything that we're trying to pr provide for them. Well, That's where it gets difficult. So I have a question. So if an organization like ours provided, um, uh, like a three hundred and sixty degree social emotional individualized or an individualized emotional plan or something like that, or we'll figure out what to call it when we get there. But if, if we, because we're, we're actively writing for a federal grant to build this model like now. We're, um, we're hosting a leadership conference in May where we have some speakers coming in from around different places uh, to be a part of the event because I, I really believe there's something to this personality, foundational relationship, and temperament piece. The question is, if if we did produce something like that, do you feel like that would be a valuable tool for your work with kids? Yeah, and then anything you can kind of mold it to meet your needs. That's too. right. Yeah, so customizable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, right. something for all different ages too. We work with high school students. Okay. So yeah, so the language has to change as far as the assessment questionnaires and stuff. So you're working with elementary kids, fewer questions, more. Language, yeah, okay, gotcha. Right. Anyone else? Comments, thoughts, yeah, we, challenges? We basically do an IEP. Um, we are a, a trio program in a four year. Okay. College, and every student that we take in, we do kind of a needs assessment to find out kind of academically, you know, where they feel they're strong, where okay. they might need some help. But we also do um, what we call a non cognitive survey to really get okay. to know them. Um, and then we work with them. They're assigned an advisor uh, for the four years that they're there. And, you know, we use that as kind of our baseline to get to know them. But then, you know, we do advising for classes. We check up on grades. You know, we meet with them, you know, at least uh, four times a semester to kind of gauge how they're doing. Um, so it's essentially an IEP. What does the non-COG survey or assessment consist of? It, you know, um, you know, it, it asks some things like... I have a lot like, to live up to with that hand clap. That was good. <laughs> you know, it just asks a little bit about their background, um, you know, what their, uh, their parents did um, occupationally, but then it also asks, you know, some things like, if you were to leave college, what's the most likely reason? Finances, poor failing grades, stress from home, you know, those types of things to kind of get to know them there. Um, and then it goes into, some, you know, what are four of your main goals? Uh, list four things that you're most proud of that you've achieved in the last few years. But then it, it has a whole list. It, it's a it's based on a, a study by Sedlicek. I, mm -hmm. I can't remember. But um, and then it, it has a, about a page and a half of you know kind of the the scale where you know it'll say something like um, you know I I feel that I have a lot of support from home for being in college. And then you know you kind of rank it from one to ten. You know very much. Are you familiar with the 40 Developmental <coughs> Assets Survey? Uh, Columbia, pardon, Columbia produced this like 18 years ago. So it's 40 different questions. Um, so developmental assets are, uh, it, it wants to arrive at what is your support structure. 
do you have a support structure? And this is free. You can find it online. Uh, it, it's an academic thing that anyone can download. It's a self-assessed survey. Um, we, we use the 40 developmental as a baseline as, and as part of our post-survey for our mentoring program, uh, which is very similar to Rice because it's, it's, so it's peer-based mentor, peer-to-peer-based, peer so it's uh, like older kids meeting weekly, bi-weekly with younger students or lower grade level students um, or, you know, junior year, freshman kind of. And it's just providing that further support system along the way. Yeah, and we do have a peer mentoring system. That's very system. cool. Yeah. Where are you? You're with Trio, you said? Yeah, at University of Montana Western. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're right there at Tom, about three minutes to go. Um, hey, I would love to connect with you all who have shared today. My email is john, J-O-H-N, at life, L-I-F-E, that, T-H-A-T, Counts, C O U N T S dot org, John at life that counts dot org. Would love to connect with you guys. Uh, I'm in the app as well that we're using. Thank you for uh, allowing me to come and be a part of what y'all are doing. Thank you. Please don't forget to fill out your service. Good moderating. Good moderating. Yes.
So that could be yeah. that could be a place of connection. I ran the great program when I was in Alabama. <laughs> so I'm used to speaking. So I have a very different take on what folks do no matter what. So you got to do what, what's natural for you. That's the key. 
Agreed. If it's not, then it comes off bad and, and robotic, and yeah. no one wants to listen to it. Yeah. yeah. But it's nice to hear people who would like to go tangentially at times, as I do too. <laughs> well. And when you can't remember something, you obsess about it a little bit. I can relate. <laughs> well, it's the human factor. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like you not not coming off as robotic. I really don't like using slides. Nope, I don't either. Uh, and I think, it's, and so I, I'm, a, I'm a practitioner of what I preach. Like, if you've built in the competency, you will deliver something of value. And I just, I believe that holds true. So I've been doing this for 20 two or three years, okay. you know? So it's like, if I don't know what I'm doing by this point, <laughs> I should probably find something else to do. I should you have other things to do too, which actually this is the nice break and a difference from it and lets you use a different part of the brain, which is nice. It, it is. You did do some background on me, didn't you? I did. So what all do I do? Because I do not know... <laughs> I was told that I was the moderator. I didn't know anything about you, so I okay. went and looked up what your bio said. Okay. I looked up what the mission was for the organization. Um, I looked up what your was supposed to be. I thought it was going to be your co-presenter, who Kelly. actually went to yeah. to Northern, where Rob was talking. Or not Western, excuse me, not Northern. Yep, Western. Um, and lives in Great Falls area, yep. which you said that during their hair, so that kind of cheats. But no, I did know the background from your family that that was in there. And I found it funny that you said, just, I don't really want to give a bio. I'll just, just talk to me, email me, call me. So I thought that was kind of funny. I literally had something written up and prepared on my computer if need be. But Why didn't you send it? It was for me. It was for me. And then you started and I'm like, nope, I'm not going to interrupt him. He's going to do his thing. So I'll just make sure I watch the clock. And if I have to interrupt, I'll interrupt. But it's all good. Well, I enjoyed it. It, it was good to come out. Uh, you know, we've been doing things like this that are sort of, you know, they're sort of winging a prayer things, right? Because you're not you're not receiving any kind of remuneration for it. it. That's not the reason why you. That's not the reason why you do it. Period. But at the end of the day, there at the end of the year, there is a, a balance. There is yeah. a bottom line. And so, we've I've continued. This is how we got started. And. I don't think we should ever, you know, you, I remember, I hear my mom in my head, don't get too big for your britches, you know. And I think we should keep trying to add value wherever we can, you know. Um, I mean, obviously we do. That's I mean, part of what the nature of this is in general, so. Yeah. I mean, we have to agree that. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer that um, money follows mission. Anytime you try to put resources out in front of mission, it fails every time. You know, it just doesn't work. You can bring the, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers are a demonstration of this. You can you can pay for the best team in basketball and not get it. Yep. You know, you have to have. I'm still a '90s Bulls fan. I still think Michael Jordan was the greatest player that ever played. Because I mean, really, if LeBron. LeBron would not know what to do with Steve Kerr. He wouldn't know what to do with Steve Kerr. He wouldn't know what to do with uh, he was the, uh, Jeff. I say no one knew what he was. Right. But but dude, 
Michael and Scotty, they gave him a space. They let him do his thing. And in a way, I mean, LeBron wouldn't know what to do with Scotty at the same time, too. Not at all. Because LeBron and Scotty, personality are probably very similar. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. Have you ever read The Twelve Rings? Phil Jackson's Twelve Rings? No. Dude, it's fantastic. Like, it's really good. So my mom was a big Bulls fan at that time. I was not, because we lived in the Chicago area at that time. Yeah. And I was tired of the Bulls, just as I was tired of the Bears. Really? Yeah, just every, Did you ever go to a game? Everywhere. No, never went. I Actually, NBA is oh. the only of the, ma- the four majors that I've never been to. Man, I remember watching, I remember watching the Chicago Bulls. Yep. No, I had friends that always went every Christmas, because every Christmas was always a home game. Man. Yeah, um, I would watch them yep. on Christmas Day. Yep. It would come on around 2.30 p.m. Yep. Yep. No, I had friends that are, were always at that game, but no, I never really was a big fan. Man, the Bulls were something. I loved watching them. All right. Well, I'm- Thanks for tuning in. If this or any of the content we've shared has impacted you in a meaningful way, we'd love to hear about it. You can drop us a note by email at info at lifethatcounts.org. Until next time, my name is Emily, and I want to encourage you to push past the fear, push past the doubt, and live a life that counts.